0: If you thought that medical marijuana was about being a pothead, then you definitely need to listen to today's episode. We're talking with Dr. Rashna Patel, the medical marijuana expert. She'll be sharing with us marijuana's history as a medicine, the politics behind why it fell out of favor, how she works with people to find the right dose of the right strain to treat patients, and much more. There'll be no getting high today on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. So I'm sure you've heard that as you age, it gets harder to lose weight. Well, that's total bull because my friends, Laura and Veronica Chaus, they can prove it. They're a mother-daughter duo, and they've lost 125 pounds between the two of them at ages 50 and 20. And they've kept it off for over two years without starvation, deprivation, or hunger. So now you can learn their system and a whole lot more with a free 10-day trial to their online membership. They'll give you the diet, the recipes, classes, and more. Sign up today at nutritionheretic.com forward slash utmost diet. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) Ah! It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the Nutrition Heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrienne Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. This week, I want to, uh, as always, I talk about something that is very personal. Uh, to me or something that that happened to me. And this was actually something that happened with my mom. Uh, Because as you folks know, my mom, when she was sick, she ended up in a rehab center in Florida, and she was not eating. And what was put on the table was medical marijuana, which was a big jump for us. Because uh, even though my family's from Jamaica, and people think that Jamaicans do nothing but sit back and smoke pot, you know, my, my family was never into marijuana, um, and it was, you know, probably stemming from an Anglican uh, religious uh, view of such things. But this is what uh, they ended up putting my mom on, and uh, lo and behold, she did start eating again, and and it also helped that I was feeding her stuff she actually wanted to eat because she didn't want to eat the stuff that they had there uh but it was just it was amazing the transformation in her health for that brief time of course the whole doctor that put her on the marijuana as soon as i left took her off of it so she stopped eating again and um you know that was that was really a shame because he essentially killed her uh you know through that act uh which really You know, to this day, there's so many, there were so many things wrong with this doctor, (laughs) let's just say. But in any case, that is why uh, today I have invited Dr. Rachna Patel to uh, talk with us. She is the medical marijuana doctor. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Dr. Patel, I talked about how, you know, in my family, (laughs) marijuana was not a thing that anybody expected to do, it was just, it was just wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. What how did marijuana get such a bad rap? So a couple different things. Um, well, you sort of have to put it
1: into historical context. So let's start with the 1930s. Okay, so back in 1937, a man named Harry Anslinger instituted a tax on marijuana. So whether you wanted to sell it, use it, grow it, prescribe it, you had to pay. a a tax on it now specifically if you wanted to prescribe it the doctors had to report to the federal government all the details about who they prescribed to why they prescribed it where they lived all of that now the the reasoning behind this tax was it was a couple different things we're talking about the 1930s here so this is during the great depression in america now what was also going on was that there was a a a great migration of mexicans into the united states Mm And a lot of the jobs that they took on was working as campesinos, you know, working right. uh, in, in the fields. Right. And so there was sort of resentment um, mm. on the side of the Americans because they were without jobs. And here are these, you know, these Mexicans that had just come into this country who, who did have jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, culturally, the Mexicans used marijuana, okay, recreationally and medicinally. So that's where the whole concept of loco weed came about, okay? Mm-hmm. So that was one part of it. Now, the other part of it was, I don't know if you've heard of William Hurst. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he was a, he was a big publisher, and then he eventually also um, started to own um, paper-making mills as well. So hemp, uh, which can be a source for paper, was a giant threat to him, okay? Mm. So just like, you know, you have corporate America lobbying today, the same thing happened back then as well. I was going to say,
0: boy, how times have changed.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And then you had the DuPont family. Now, the DuPont family around that time had um, patented, uh, I believe it was synthetic nylon.
0: Okay. I thought they just did weapons. What was that? (laughs) I thought they just did weapons, the the DuPonts.
1: (laughs) I think they did a lot of things, Yeah. but um, they patented synthetic nylon and again, hemp as a source of of cloth was a a threat to their industry as well. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of sort of motives politically and economically going on. And Harry Anslinger himself admittedly was, was a racist, so he had no problem instituting this tax. So now fast forward to the Nixon era, okay? This is um, uh, th- the time when the Controlled Substances uh, Act was passed, right? And this is when, uh, and then you had, you know, the whole Drug enfor- Enforcement Agency that was formed, et cetera. And this is when marijuana was classified as a class one substance, right? So same category as heroin, same category <laughs> as LSD. Um, and then you fast forward now to the Reagan era, okay? And this is when we had the war on drugs.
0: Exactly. Right?
1: And this is when the whole sort of myth that marijuana is a gateway drug was perpetuated. And it, so that's, that's sort of the whole history, you know, starting um, 1937. Now, interestingly enough, before 1937, marijuana was available over the counter at pharmacies, so, um, so, so it was available for purchase, and it was used for all sorts of things like menstrual cramps, arthritic pain, opioid withdrawal. So, already had a lot of different medical uses uh, prior to 1937 in the United States and worldwide.
0: Wow! And is wasn't the Declaration of Independence written on hemp paper? Um, is there was there something about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I haven't looked it up, but I think it was.
0: Yeah, and and. I believe that a lot of rope and things like that were also made out of hemp once upon a time when, you know, they were on ships, for example. Um, But yeah, textiles, I guess, you know, a lot of it's not like it's so new and seems like it has it's had many practical uses aside from what you talk about as far as the the medicinal uses, but the hemp plant had a lot of uh, practical uses. So explain for us the differences between hemp and what we call marijuana.
1: Yeah, so it's a a legal distinction, okay? Mm -hmm. And basic legal distinction, this is an internationally accepted legal distinction, which is that Hemp, by law, has less than 0.3% THC, mm-hmm. and marijuana, by default, has more than 0.3% THC. Huh. Gotcha. So that's, that's the distinction between between the two. And that's really what most people, that's a piece of information um, most people need to carry away with them when, mm-hmm. when it comes to the difference between hemp and marijuana.
0: Okay, okay. And then... Um... Yeah, we'll go into, actually, I'll go into THC later, <laughs> because I want to I yeah. talk about that. But uh, so what was your epiphany when you, because you went to standard medical school, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I um, did. Just, I was... just to be like a straight up family physician? Or did you have a particular area that you were eyeing up at the time?
1: In emergency medicine. Okay. So I was, I was in training in emergency medicine at the time.
0: Okay. And then how did medical marijuana put itself on the table?
1: Yeah, so I saw an ad on Craigslist. And um basically, you know, in residency I turned into an insomniac. I was working probably 80 to 100 hours a week, yeah. and at some point what ends up happening is that you get so wired, you have a hard time no matter how tired you are falling asleep, mm-hmm. right? So just like any other insomniac, you're too tired to actually get real work done. Yeah. Exactly. So- You spend a lot of time surfing the internet. Right. (laughs) Or or watching TV or or eating food that's bad for you. Yeah. And so um I was surfing the internet, I was on Craigslist, and um I saw an ad that said medical marijuana doctor needed. Now, at the time this really piqued my curiosity because here's what was going on. You know, I, as any other hopeful medical student, entered into uh, medical school with, with the hopes of saving lives. But really what I saw happening was that on the one hand <clears> – <throat> so let me backtrack a little bit. What do you do in the emergency room as an ER doctor? You rule out the most emergent cause. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then if there isn't an emergent cause uh, to the patient's complaint, then you, you send them home with um, – if it's pain, you send them home with prescription pain medications – and instructions to follow up with their primary care doctor. Okay, right. so so on the one hand, I was I was handing out uh, prescriptions for these pain medications, but on the other hand, I saw patients that were suffering through side effects from these very medications. I saw patients that what, would come into the emergency room for their fix because they had become addicted to these yeah. medications. And, and okay? we now
0: know there's an opioid epi- epidemic. Yep.
1: Yep. And another result of the opioid epidemic was that I was in the unfortunate position of having to resuscitate patients oh, that had overdosed on yeah. these medications, right? That was probably the most common um, uh, uh, emergency that, that we would see in, in the emergency room. So, so here I was, you know, I, as a doctor, you, really, truly our job is to solve problems. And, and really what I was doing was that I was creating problems rather than solving them. So that's why the medical marijuana piqued my curiosity. So I started to dig into the research and about a year later, what I found most compelling was medical marijuana's application for, for treating chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at that point I figured, okay, if you know, the books can say one thing, the research can say one thing, but how the medicine truly plays out, you know, in real life is sometimes a completely different story. So at that point, I signed up to work at a medical marijuana clinic out in California. And this was back in 2012. And at this point, I've been in the field for over half a decade. We're going on year six now. Um, And there's no turning back at this point. I mean, it's medicine that's significantly improving the quality of, of patients' lives.
0: I, I wish you were in the same room because I'd be high-fiving you constantly on like everything that you're <laughs> saying right now. I mean, from the fact that you were astute enough to observe that people were not getting better and that it was, there was a problem that you had to resuscitate people, like, <laughs> you know, and how do other doctors not see that through the same lens that you saw that?
1: I think they do. But here's what happens. Complacency happens. This is true. You know, at some point, um, and I've had a lot of colleagues, you know, I graduated med school in 2009, right? So they've Mm -hmm. been practicing now for, you know, some of them five some odd years. And I've talked to them and a lot of times what happens is that They they make a good living. You know, it gets to the point where they're sort of just um, rolling on by because because they know their medicine, it's not as much of a challenge. And I think they become complacent at some
0: point, you know, I mean, I I hate to say it, but I, I would argue that not everybody gets into medicine for the same altruistic reasons that you did. I agree. Um, you know, there's. I think there's. There's just way too many people who still look at it as, "Wow, I can save lives and make a lot of money." You know, and, there's, yeah. and there seems to be a little bit more emphasis on the amount of money they can make. <laughs> yeah. the,
1: Although, I mean, if you think about the it from like a practical standpoint, like if you if you could do the calculations for hours for or dollars for hours, right? Yeah, <laughs> like you're not doing your math right. If, exactly. If, you know, like you're oh, better for off sure. doing something else. Unfortunately, there actually aren't too many doctors in the area of medical uh, marijuana. But yeah, that's sort of sort of uh, how I ended up where where I am today.
0: Wow. Well, well, thank you for for seeing past that, and you know, kind of I guess uh, entertaining it even uh, because. Another thing that you said to me uh, that really struck a chord is that there's research and then there's how it plays out in real life. And what I see, because, you know, promoting the brand or whatever, I go on social media and I see a lot of people talking about, well, what's the research say? What does the research <laughs> say? So, that, so now everything that actually happens to people becomes anecdotal.
1: Yeah. So here's but, the you know, the people getting-
0: who do the research are usually not in the office seeing what happens. Right.
1: Yeah. Now here, here's the important point I want to make. Okay. There is such a thing known as off label uh, drug use. Yes. Okay. So what does this mean? That means that you have a prescription medication that's being prescribed for an indication for which the FDA has not approved it for. Right. Happens all the time. Okay. Um, So I don't feel like I'm doing anything different than um, prescribing a medication off for, you know, for for off-label use. Right. So, so, you know, I'm basing it on the clinical results that I see. So Mm -hmm. yes, there's anecdotal information, but I don't really go by the anecdotal information. As a physician, I know what information I need to be looking for. Um, and I go by that. And I also go by the trends that I see in the thousands of patients that I've treated. Right. Right. So, so that's what I'm going off of. There is research. Research is however, um, preliminary, right. And a lot of it yes. is in, in mice and in rats. But again, as a physician, I can take that information and use it to apply it to, right. um, to, to how I practice. So, right. so that's essentially how I see it.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, I think sometimes though, uh, too many physicians uh, and and lay people uh, think that the research is the truth versus your clinical experience. So, you know, what happens clinically is <coughs> does not always get the respect yeah, that it and should. Actually- right.
1: Yeah, and actually what's interesting is that a lot of times medications will be approved by the FDA for a specific use and then once it goes to market they find that, you know, it's it's killing people or people are having yeah. suicidal or homicidal thoughts and then they have to take it off market. Yeah. So that's another important thing to know as well.
0: Right, right. And uh, I we talked a little bit before starting the interview and I was telling you I lived in New Jersey, which we no was the pharma belt, uh, and uh, I actually ended up working in pharma for a few years, and it was pretty distressing to see some of the stuff yeah. that would go on, you know, and, and like you're talking about, this off-label usage. Uh, you know, in some cases, it seemed like there were the condition warranted using something you know, like the, the risk outweigh the, or the benefit outweigh the risk. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that sometimes it was like, really, you really think that's a good idea? You know, so.
1: That's really interesting that you brought that up. But I was shadowing a doctor out in Dallas, the Dallas, Texas area way back when. And he was telling me, um, that for the longest time, the, the drug reps that would come to him were middle-aged white men. Mm -hmm. And then he noticed a shift. You know the drug reps started to to that they started to send in were former Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. Yes. You know, and so and it's interesting because they'd send uh, male drug reps to female doctors and female drug reps to male doctors. Anything that that sort of persuaded the doctor. Um, and what was interesting was that when I was in med school, the sunshine act, it's funny that they call it the sunshine act, um, uh, was passed. And that basically said, I mean, be- you know, before this, this act was passed, doctors were being treated to gosh, lavish vacations, yes. cruises. Um, so they were sort of like, uh, uh under the, t- I mean, they were there were gifts. There was no actual contract that, Hey, I'm going to give you this and you have to prescribe my medication. But again, it's playing with human psychology, because when, when you receive a gift for, from somebody, you feel indebted to reciprocate uh, that of favor. Course. So, so that's really interesting that, that you bring all this up. And what's interesting is that um, I see medical marijuana as a giant threat to big pharma.
0: Oh, for sure. <clears throat>
1: um, because it's like killing multiple birds with one stone, right? Yeah. So So the most common conditions that I treat are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia, right? And there are a lot Who, – first of all, who in America doesn't have one of those three or a combination of those three, right? Mm -hmm. And the medications that are prescribed for these conditions are some of the more commonly prescribed medications in all the United States.
0: Exactly. I represented two of them. When, when I was working. And the only way I got through, I, I could like look myself in the mirror was to tell the doctors all of the side effects, like, cause nobody would ever go over the side effects and the contraindications. Yeah. And they, and many of them had been prescribing these, these, um, you know, arthritis, migraine pain meds for years. And they had no idea. And they're like, Oh, I just had somebody in my office today. And they never told me that. I'm like, yeah, because yeah. I'm like the only person at the entire uh, powwow that we just had who wasn't a cheerleader. Like literally every woman on my team was a cheerleader, a former cheerleader. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's interesting. It's, it's an industry that's um, very interesting if you if you look sort of at the inner workings of it. And there's actually a great movie um, that Anne Hathaway was in. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't um, think so. Uh, let me look it up here. But it was, that gave, gave a good insight, insight as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, it's, it was Love and Other Drugs.
0: Oh, I heard uh, of it, but never, uh, never never saw it.
1: Yeah, they focused on Viagra when it, when it was like first coming out and how <clears throat> the drug reps were competing to get the greatest number of sales and whatnot. Right.
0: Yeah, um, I remember that.
1: Yeah, but I don't mean to take the conversation off time.
0: No, 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 but it's, I mean, it's, it's just, I think it all works together because we're talking about, you know, w- w- this still somewhat uh, a controversial substance and you know why is it, it you know kind of marginalized what what made I mean it's come it's definitely making a comeback now um and not just by potheads uh but, you know it's it's yeah. people are starting to realize there's actually something to this so in in light of that what what does marijuana do for us? And we're, what I'm talking about is the cannabinoid system. Can you talk a little bit to that? Is that is that the only thing that we're seeing? And you know what what is the cannabinoid system? And then how does uh, marijuana affect it? Or and are there other ways to access that system?
1: Yeah. So all sorts of ways. So basically, what is the endocannabinoid system? It's it's one of the systems that we have in our bodies that um, uh, it's basically a, a system of homeostasis. It helps to keep a lot of things in balance, including, um, you know, things like um, appetite, things like sleep, things like um, uh, even even protecting you, for instance. Okay? So, so it, the system serves a very important role. Now, the system was only discovered really in the early, you know, um, 1990s. So that's its fundamental role. Now... The way that it helps, like pain, for instance, uh, a couple different ways. Uh, one is that it, it helps to reduce inflammation, okay? Mm-hmm. So, and it does this by working um, on the autoimmune system. So we have, so specifically what it does is that it, it, it causes the death of cells that cause an autoimmune reaction, mm-hmm. okay? So that's one, and it's very targeted. Um, number two is that it suppresses the production of cytokines and cytokines are, they're sort of chemicals involved in starting and stopping inflammation. So if you suppress these chemicals, you're starting, in st- uh, you're starting less inflammation in the body. And the third way is that it activates what are called T regulatory cells and T regulatory cells. We have to, and this is where the, the protection part comes in, T regulatory cells we have in our bodies to, to basically prevent an autoimmune attack, okay? So it, keep, it keeps things in check. And so what marijuana does is that it activates these T regulatory cells, okay? okay. <clears throat> so that's one way that it helps with pain. Another way that it helps with pain is that it, it dampens the sensors that pick up the pain signals, mm-hmm. okay? So we have uh, receptors all over our body that, and their main job is to detect pain. And what they found in in animal models is that whenever somebody's in pain, they create even more receptors, cannabinoid receptors. Okay, and the more receptors that you have surrounding the pain receptors, the more the the signaling that gets sent to the brain is dampened. Mm. Okay. Now, the other thing is, is that it also is involved in the emotional processing of pain. So there's two components to pain. There's a physical component, what hurts, and there's the emotional component. How does it feel when it hurts, right? So when, when something hurts, your brain is telling you this does not feel good. Um, and really, it's in place so that you you do something about it. But what happens is that um, with with medical marijuana, again, it's sort of that that signaling that goes on between the the physical processing of pain and the emotional processing of pain gets dampened. So a lot of times, clinically, I have patients telling me that, hey, you know, when I use the marijuana, the pain is still there, but it doesn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or it, the medical marijuana helps to get my mind off the pain so that I can focus on other things. Right. So, so that's one of the ways, I mean, when it comes to like anxiety, for instance, marijuana is what's called a serotonergic, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so it works along in the serotonin uh, pathway. And that's how it, it helps with anxiety, uh, uh, for instance. And, and I can probably go on and on with all sorts of different medical conditions, but, but those are the, the, the more common uh, ways that it works.
0: Right. And, and one, one of the things that I'm hearing is that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but through this kind of you know, dampening effect that you talk about and um, kind of coping mechanism that it seems to engage is it possible that to, to say that it makes you more accepting, you know what I mean? Like in in a sense that like more passive with pain and and things like that, you know, where you don't, you don't fight things that normally your body is just gets riled up about. Is that, um, give me an example. Just the, uh, I'm just trying to think you said something specifically, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but, um, in terms of like, yeah, you know, I have pain here, but I'm not I'm not engaged with the pain. Like it's not exciting, kind of like a negative response yeah, out of me. Yeah. So it's, I, I accept that there's pain there, but it's not the end of the world now, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe it was mm-hmm. beforehand. Yeah. And that,
1: that has to do with the emotional processing of it. Right. 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 Um, y- y- your re your emotional reaction to it is dampened.
0: Wow. Yeah. And now does that, once that let's call it high wears off, does it, kind of stay there? Or does it increase slightly? You know, what, what happens afterwards? Because I think one of the things that worries people is getting addicted, you know, like, I don't want to be a pothead yeah. my entire life, right? I, I don't want to get addicted, because if it, it, you know, but then they have no problem with opioids somehow. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but when it comes to this, people seem to have their their antennae up a little bit more, right?
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't even call it a high. I mean what they're what patients are experiencing is not a high. A, okay. a high comes from using excess amounts of marijuana, gotcha. right? And that yeah. has that euphoric effect. Um, it can range from a euphoric effect to anxiety, to paranoia, to hallucinations, mm-hmm. to numbness and tingling, to nausea and vomiting. That, that I would consider the person having taken a toxic dose of right. marijuana. gotcha. What I'm focused on is my patients taking a therapeutic dose mm. of, of medical marijuana, okay? So that's where you're taking a dose that's that's just right, where it's it's not too little, where it's not having an effect, but it's not so much. That you're having side effects from it.
0: Gotcha. Um,
1: and so a lot of like, you, you know, to address your concern about addiction, I always like to use the analogy of alcohol. So, you know, you have a person that that drinks a glass of wine on a nightly basis. And then you have a person that comes home and drinks a, a pack of beer, a case of beer on a nightly basis the person who drinks the, the pack of beer, the, the case of beer is more likely to get addicted to to the alcohol than the person who's drinking a glass of wine. A lot of it comes down to how you're using that substance, right? So same right. with opioids as as, as well. Um, you know, if you're overdoing it, there's a greater likelihood of addiction. Same, same with tobacco. I mean, with tobacco over time, people tend to use it more and more and more. But if you Smoke once every six months. It's not like you know you're automatically an addict, right? Uh, and not that I'm advocating for for smoking tobacco. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, I mean, you're just putting it into context, you know? It's,
1: <clears throat> yeah. So that's that's how I put it into context. And one of the main sort of uh, fundamental uh, purposes that I serve in my consultations is that I'm walking patients through how to safely use it so that they can avoid the side effects altogether. Um, avoid any sort of tolerance. Right. And they're not taking it maximally. They're taking it optimally so that so that um, they're not overdoing it.
0: Right. So then how do do you work with people to determine what is uh, I'm assuming that the therapeutic dose may vary from person to person. Uh, But, you know, to, to get to that optimal dose, is that pretty much trial and error?
1: There is a component of trial and error to it, but but I narrow it down by a lot for, for patients, right? So I'm walking them through for their particular set of conditions, for their particular set of symptoms, which combination of cannabinoids are going to work best for their condition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the cannabinoids are the chemicals that marijuana makes. Yeah. Then I'm walking them through which method of administration, which delivery method is going to work best for their particular condition. I'm walking them through a method of figuring out how much to take. Gotcha. And then I'm walking them through uh, figuring out how often to use it. So it's a very stepwise methodical process that I'm walking them through. So it so it narrows it down for them um, gotcha. a, a, and it increases the likelihood of success that they can have with the medical marijuana.
0: Right. So tell me, um, I'm going to back up a little bit uh, with the endocannabinoid system. You know, we talked about the cannabinoids in marijuana being able to access that system. Are there other foods or other things that people can engage in that would, that are not marijuana, that, you know, may stimulate the cannabinoid
1: system? Yeah. None that I've come across in my research. Okay. Okay. There probably are, Uh, uh, you know, there probably are things that do make cannabinoids, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it also comes down to, you have to surpass a certain threshold to start to feel the effects of it. Mm. Um, So nothing that I've encountered that, that, you know, surpasses that threshold.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, so literally the, the cannabinoids in cannabis are, are what, as far as we know now,
1: and and that, we naturally make our own endocannabinoids gotcha. right so, you, so so that's why we react to the chemicals in the marijuana plant mm-hmm. because you can think of the, the the these are called phytocannabinoids the chemicals made in the marijuana plant and you can think of them as the chemicals that we make the endocannabinoids mm-hmm. you can think of the, them as their twin right and so that's why we're they're reacting to the to the chemicals in the plant
0: right is this a little bit like the phytoestrogens in say soy Yeah, similar, right? Okay, similar similar concept.
1: And so, so the body Mm -hmm. recognizes it as the same.
0: And so, uh, okay, sorry, I don't mean to harp on this too much, but do we know what the precursors of our endocannabinoids are?
1: Um, Yeah, they start off as uh, fatty
0: acids. Okay, so they are fats. Okay, that's what I was. That's what in the back of my mind I'm thinking could butter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, somehow be involved or, or whatever, you know, fatty acids, um, be involved. Okay. Gotcha. That's really, uh, fascinating to know. So then when it comes to, you talked about how, walking people through the process of you know, determining what's the ideal dose for them and, 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 and dosage mechanism, What's the difference in what happens between smoking, edibles, tinctures? And I don't know. Are there other ways? Uh, I guess topically.
1: Yeah, there's all sorts of other ways. There's topicals. There's also even um, you mentioned quite a few of them, but there's also vaginal and rectal formulations of medical marijuana as well. Um, and, then, and then, oh, sublinguals. So these are uh, drops that you use under the tongue.
0: Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I meant when I was saying tinctures. Um, oh, okay I, was, okay. I was thinking of I, sublinguals. I, I,
1: didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you mentioned uh, tinctures. But yeah. um, differences in all of them, yeah, there's a, a difference in how long they take to take effect mm-hmm. and also how long the the peak concentration lasts um, in your system. Okay. Um, those are, I would say, the fundamental differences. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, amongst all of them. Um, but also, you know, beyond that, the patient's history has a very important role in selecting, um, a method of administration. So let me give you an example. Like for instance, my patients who've had, um, gastric bypasses. Uh Okay. Um, in these patients, a lot of times they have a hard time absorbing anything that they ingest, yeah. uh, anything that has marijuana in it, in it as in the form of an edible. So, you know, sometimes they have to, to use an alternative route of administration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to take really the patient's full history into account um, in order to, to figure out, okay, you know, wh- which method of administration is, is the best for, for this particular person.
0: Mm, okay, so I have got to ask because you you put two other uh, ways of do- dosing this on the table. Yeah. Why would uh-huh. you stick it up your butt? You know, like what's what's going on there? Is it yeah. is it so, relaxing the the sphincter, um, or is it more for an absorption? So two it's other more parts. for
1: absorption, like typically in medicine in general, when all the other routes of administration are not. Um, uh, uh, possible, that's when you use the rectal route of administration, Mm -hmm. right? So, for instance, um, a child that comes into the emergency room seizing, right? You, mm. They can't take anything oral. Gotcha. IV, sometimes it's hard to get a line in them, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, what you do is you use a, a, a rectal formulation.
0: Mm, gotcha.
1: Um, vaginal is something new, and I would say the most common use of that has been in uh, my patients that are postmenopausal. Um, uh, they've reported that it helps with sensitivity Ah. uh, during intercourse. So that's the most common use of that. Um, And that's probably the least tested, I would say, uh, the least researched. Um, I think, I wonder if someone just decided to come up with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody was bored?
1: out anything in terms of research on
0: that particular method of use,
1: but, but, um, it it has proven effective, um, in that patient population.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, I was like, well, it could go either way, you know, (laughs) 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 either it's, you know, direct for the area or it's like you said, the, you know, the absorption is, is better or in the case of a child who's seizing, um, you know, might help to get it into them so that they can stop. Um. I mean, I really want to know the range of disorders because I'm hearing like it almost seems like the miracle that everybody is looking yeah. for when some people talk about yeah. it. Yeah,
1: and I, and I always caution people that, that it's, it's a great medication for a lot of conditions compared to pharmaceuticals, but it's not your miracle cure, right. right? So like I said, so actually, you know what would be a great topic to talk about in relation to this is who should not use medical marijuana? Um, Because there are definitely people out there that should be incredibly cautious about using medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. So you have people with heart conditions. Mm. Okay. Uh, Underlying uh, any underlying heart condition, especially if it's an unstable heart condition. Why is that? Because. Excess amounts of marijuana can increase your heart rate, and that can then exacerbate the underlying heart condition.
0: Right. Yeah. And you talked to that before when you said some people vomit and, you know, have basically negative response.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's like any other medication, right? You take too much of it and you're not going to get, you're going to get the side effects from it. Um, then you have patients uh, with psychiatric conditions, especially those who've experienced visual or auditory hallucinations, what, what we typically call psychotic episodes, mm. okay? Um, a- again, anybody who takes excess amounts of marijuana and they've had a history of psychotic episodes, they're more prone to these psychotic episodes, okay? Right. Okay. So that's another group: uh, women that are planning to become pregnant, that are pregnant, or that are breastfeeding. So I are on the side of caution in this in this group because the jury's sort of out when it comes to the research. Some research says that there are no harmful effects <clears throat> on a on a growing fetus or growing baby, and then there's some research that does show that. Using uh, marijuana while pregnant can lead to low birth weight and preterm labor and or delivery as well So I I personally the way I practice is that I are on the side of caution in this population and recommend that they not use um, In children dosing is extremely important. Okay, because mm-hmm. they're having cases of accidental overdoses oh, uh, in Colorado uh, and, they, and they do come in into the emergency room in what's described as a comatose state. Oh okay? god um and then you have uh, uh people who with lung conditions right mm-hmm. so obviously they they shouldn't be inhaling marijuana period because it can exacerbate the underlying lung condition right so so you know in this sense i think i think you know a lot of marijuana is being touted um a, as a miracle cure especially like for instance with cancer okay this mm-hmm. is something i feel very strongly about the the claims that marijuana cures cancer um as a physician, but even as a physician who's treated patients who who have had cancer, I would not make the claim that it cures cancer, right? So so again, that's that we're getting into the realm of the you know, the stories that people find on the internet. Right. How much of it is true, how much of it is not true, things like that. So and the conditions that it works great for, like I mentioned, are chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia. Now, with the cancer patients specifically, it works great if they're undergoing chemo, and they're experiencing um, uh, poor appetite, significant weight loss, nausea, vomiting, works great for that. And we don't really have too many medications on the market that sort of solve that problem for patients, okay, as well as the medical marijuana does. Um, there is Megase. Megase is, is an appetite stimulant, but it increases the likelihood of blood clots. Mm. Um, and, and there's already a greater likelihood of blood clots in patients who have cancer, right? So, so you're putting them at, you know, at risk of something that, that could potentially kill them then i also let's see what what else have i treated you know this falls under the category of pain but patients with menstrual cramps for right. instance okay perimenopausal or postmenopausal women that are experiencing uh, anxiety insomnia um or or even hot flashes it's it's helped with as well so uh helps with a lot of conditions um uh, but it, it just you know it, it's just going to depend on what set of conditions the person has
0: Right, right. So when people talk about medical marijuana, mm-hmm. how different is that from just marijuana? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you know, the plant, for example. Yeah, so- uh you know, is it is it compressed into a pill or or do, you know, cuz I hear people talking about, well, you know, this is better to take edibles and then they get they they throw a bunch of recipes up, you know, that, put it in this
1: Yeah. Okay. So it really depends on what state you live in.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So there's really three categories of states, states that have legalized for recreational use, states that have legalized for medical use and states that have not legalized for either. Um, in, in, in the states, So let's start with the states that have legalized for recreational use. In these states, typically, it's mandated by law that the products are laboratory tested. Okay, what is the advantage of a laboratory tested product? You know exactly what's in it. You know what's what's in it in terms of the amounts of the different cannabinoids. Okay, that's important because then you can predict what sort of effect it's going to have on your body. Not only that, but they're testing for things like pesticides and fungicides. For in an unregulated market, you know, if someone's using lots and lots of pesticides, that can add up. And then when you're using it, that can build up in your body. And a lot of these pesticides are what are called neurotoxic, they can Mm -hmm. cause damage to the brain. Okay. They're also testing for things like fungus and bacteria. Now, people who have compromised immune systems, right? So we're talking about patients who are undergoing chemotherapy. Um, patients who've had um, organ transplants, patients with, with HIV, AIDS, they are more prone to getting infected with, with this fungus and bacteria that may be in the product or the mm, plant. Yeah. Okay? So that's the advantage in a recreational state. Okay, And you'll see the irony in all of this. Now in medical states, it's not always required by the state for for the products to be to be lab tested. I would say in most states it is, but in a lot of states it's not necessarily. Um, and then you have the states where it's neither legal for medical or recreational use, and I'm assuming most people are getting it off the streets, and you don't know what you're getting. And especially in this situation where you're getting it off the streets, you run the risk of getting... uh, uh, marijuana that's laced with other drugs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so it could be soaked in ketamine, it can can have PCP on it. Um, so, so that's really the difference between medical and, um, and off the streets is that you're getting a, a, a regulated product where you know what's actually in the product. And also it's, we realize that it's an industry in its infancy. Uh, A lot of this sort of just skyrocketed once Colorado legalized for recreational use, right. that was back in 2012. So it's only been six years. We've made a lot of progress in six years, um, and but um, it's an evolving industry. Right. Okay, so does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, just my little follow up is that. So what you're saying is that medically, like the medical marijuana, is not changed really from the original form in the in the sense that it's not. Just, let's say, the cannabinoids that are pulled out.
1: No. Right? It's, no, it's actually. St- yeah. mm-hmm. they're, they're still making pot brownies uh, just like they were back in the day, except right. now it's from plant material that's tested. Gotcha. Right? And grown in highly regulated conditions. Right. Um, and not only that, but you may find pop brownies that are gluten free, vegan, I was just sugar-free. about to go I was just about
0: to go there. I was like, Okay, but now you got the person who refuses to <laughs> to, yeah. to eat it because it's, you know, got the gluten or it's got an egg or <laughs> something else. Yes. Yeah. So
1: so and it's it's packaged, it's manufactured, you know, made out of manufacturing facility as opposed to, you know, someone's home and someone's kitchen. So you know um, specifically
0: it, how much each brownie, let's say, yeah. is yeah. worth. Like- mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And
0: when it comes to THC
1: in states like Colorado, uh, they don't allow per serving size more than 10 milligrams of THC. Okay. So so that's the difference in getting access to products in, in recreational
0: states. Wow. Okay. So then, okay, now we talked about THC. Uh, recently, I I've told you before we started, I just bought a home and I have goats and I was going in my backyard and I slipped on a rock and wrenched my knee. And so, after going to the acupuncturist and the chiropractor, I was given a little uh, backup pot—not pot. No, not pot uh, what's the word I'm looking for? CBD. Container of just a little container of CBD um, yeah. ointment. Uh, wh- what's the difference between THC and CBD? You know the and and when you're dosing medical, medical marijuana. Is that consideration part of, of what you're looking at? In other words, is it, do you pretty much just have one, one that you prefer over the other for what you deal with, or is it a combination, or depends on the person?
1: Depends on the, combina- the, the combination of symptoms and conditions that the patient has. So some patients uh, benefit from high amounts of CBD. Some patients actually benefit from high amounts of THC. Mm-hmm. And then there are some patients that need both. Okay. So, and and you'll find patients that, that automatically assume that, um, that it's a CBD that has all the medical value in marijuana. And a lot of times they'll buy something off the internet and then they'll come to me and they'll be like, Dr. Patel, I kept on taking more and more of this and it did nothing for me.
0: Right. And there's Um, a, there's a big MLM. Someone was trying to sell me on a couple of weeks ago and she was was like, like, Oh my gosh, this is the best stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so it's going to vary. Now, I have a great video that your listeners will find very informative. It's on how to buy CBD oil, okay, and, and really what to watch out for, because there's a lot of random websites off the internet that are selling CBD oil products, okay? And interestingly enough, the FDA ran some random tests on some of them. Some of them had basically what they, the claim that they made on the label, what was actually in the product in terms of CBD, paled in comparison to wow. what was on the label. Wow. Right? And so, so this is why I have patients telling me, hey, this didn't work. Um, and uh, uh, secondly, there were, there were products that had more than the 0.3% THC. So that's why I also have, again, I have patients coming in telling me, Dr. Patel, this says high CBD, but I felt high off of it. Mm. So you want to be very judicious in figuring out uh, you know, which product to purchase. And, and that video will walk you through the questions to ask in, in terms of, uh, you know, when you're trying to judge a company, um, and trying to purchase from a company. So I think they'll find that helpful.
0: Oh yeah, that'd um, be great. Yeah, yeah. Because this stuff that I was given is, um, it was, it had so much, uh, eucalyptus camphor in, in it, that I was like, I might as well just be using Tiger Bomb because that, I don't know that it did anything beyond what just straight up Tiger Bomb, you know, camphor, eucalyptus combination would have done for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the questions that I always tell in that video that I tell uh, people to ask is, you know, make sure the product is laboratory tested. Because mm-hmm. even those products, you can send them to independent labs to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask for those results so that you know what's in it, right? Yeah. Uh, it could have nothing. Maybe it just has camphor in it for all you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: But- <laughs> well, yeah, I, no yeah I was hoping since it came through the medical, uh, you know, through my uh, acupuncturist, uh, yeah. that it would, you know, have something more to it. But, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, for 50 bucks, I could have just stuck with $3 Tiger Bomb oh, <laughs> as yeah. far as I'm concerned
1: yeah so laboratory testing is the best way to yeah, go is yeah. to, is to really delve into into the results um and the more independent laboratories that they can get test results from you know that that product that that company can present, the better. So back to your question about the differences between C B D and THC. There are a lot of differences between the two. But the most fundamental difference between the two is that THC is psychoactive. That's what causes a high. And C B D is not psychoactive, doesn't cause any sort of high.
0: Okay. But it does it does still relax you and Again, or, or at least depending on the person. Yeah,
1: yeah, and the psychoactive effects typically kick in only if you take excess amounts of it, gotcha. up until a certain point, you'll just feel the medical effects of the THC. Okay. Um, so that's, I would say the fundamental difference. Um, but really, you know, from, can, can, I have no preference. So what really matters to me is that it's, it's giving my patients results. Mm-hmm. And that's, like I said, it's going to vary from patient to patient.
0: Right. Right. And is it, uh, correct to say that depending on, the variety of marijuana that it would have either more THC, just varying degrees of THC versus CBD.
1: So yeah and that varies on a couple different things right so it varies on the amount of the CBD and THC that it will produce varies on the plant genetics and the environment in which in which it was grown mm-hmm. okay so it's just like humans how you know how do humans turn out it depends on our genetics and the environment in which we were we were raised right so so same thing with the plant they produce different amounts of chemicals based on that
0: Right, right. Wow. So, what are, I guess, the biggest challenges that you experience right now in your profession uh, as a medical marijuana endorsing doctor? <laughs> yeah.
1: So, okay. So, it's interesting. It's been an evolution. When I first started in the field, my greatest hesitancy was losing the respect of other physicians. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I am sort of the girl that's never really cared about what other people think, but professionally, this mattered to me because if another, phys- what, what matters the most for a doctor, your professional opinion, you know, that, right. that it carries weight, it carries respect. And if another doctor doesn't respect your opinion, um, or disregard your opinion, then it's kind of like game over, you know? Yeah. Um, there's no point in practicing. So that was the, the biggest thing. And I remember when, I, so it, this is when I started in 2012, Now, despite feeling that I pushed forward. And in 2014, I started my own practice, brick and mortar practice. Um, And one of the things that you typically do when you start a practice to establish yourself is that you go around to physicians in complementary fields, right? So Mm -hmm. like, for instance, uh, a cancer doctor, an oncologist, I would be able to help them because they probably have patients that are that are suffering with nausea and vomiting, weight loss, poor appetite, that they aren't able to help, right? So then they can refer to me and then I can't treat cancer. So the cancer patients that come to me, I then refer them, uh, put them in the hands of a doctor that can actually treat them. Right. And I remember um, I could not get past the office manager. Um, basically the door, you know, the, the, I was, the, the door was just slammed in my face. Mm over time, I started to get referrals from other doctors for patients. They would send their patients to my office. Uh, so I closed my brick and mortar just recently. And uh, with one of the goals being to travel the country and to speak at physicians uh, as physicians conferences. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just spoke at a conference in Maui here. Uh, one of them, I'm going to be speaking at the Maui uh, Medical Society soon. But now it's really incredible how engaged they are as an audience, because patients are coming to them with questions and questions that they don't have answers to. And I, as a physician with experience, I have those answers, right? Right. So it's interesting how in a a period of, of six short years, not even six, probably five short years, how much it's evolved over time. It's almost like the people have made their voice heard, and right. now the physicians have no choice but to learn about medical
0: marijuana. That's exactly it. And that's, uh, you know, in many ways, that's the blessing of the internet. Uh, yeah, and that- it's
1: powerful. It's, you know, it speaks leaps and bounds that, of you know, in this one case where pe- the people's voice was heard, you know? Right. And I think the big pharma has to listen. The government has to listen. Physicians have to listen, and I think they rightfully so made their voice heard because this is a medication that, can, that has a potential to, to make a big difference in the quality of people's lives.
0: Right, exactly, and uh you know that 's when I worked in pharma, that was the the big thing, like oh, yeah, well, you know it 's better they take this drug, even though it could give them a heart attack because yeah. you know it'll improve the quality of their life, and it 's like, well, you know, maybe if we can avoid the heart attack <laughs> part of the yeah. equation, it'd be nice you know i'm <laughs> not, not an expert, but I'm just thinking out loud. It really makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at it through the historical lens, and that this is not something new, and then also kind of the the rationale behind why it became so taboo for such a long time. And, uh, you know, I've definitely heard things about uh, the civil rights era, and how that, you know, had an effect on it as well, you know, where the, the government had kind of identified a lot of the black intelligentsia as smoking pot when they would have their discussions. So, well, you know, we can't really We can't get them on freedom of speech, but we can get them on using marijuana.
1: (laughs) I mean, even, you know, law enforcement using it as a means of of racial profiling, you know, when they're doing like checks, uh, stop checks and whatnot. Um, You know, what's interesting is that the medical use of marijuana dates back to 2700 B.C., that's right. that's when in China they first documented the use of, of marijuana medically. But I'm sure it goes back even beyond, you oh, know, yeah. earlier than right. that. Okay? Right. Um Same with India. The way that marijuana was introduced to the Western world was through a man named um, his, his last name was uh, O'Shaughnessy mm-hmm. or I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, But basically, he was in India. He was an Irish physician in India. And he noticed that um, the Indians would use marijuana medically. And this was in 1850 that then then it was introduced to the rest of the world. Um, And up until 1937 in the United States, um, it was it was used medically for for over a decade or about a decade. Right,
0: right. Well, you know, the one thing that comes back to me more and more is that. The the therapeutic use of something like marijuana is very similar in my mind to, for example, someone who might drink a little shot of grappa at the end of a meal where, you know, it helps the digestion, right? These like little digestive aids that it's not really that unusual throughout the animal kingdom that like every animal has something that brings them that similar relief. So a very obvious one might be the koala bear or koala let's say, eating eucalyptus leaves and, you know, kind of sedating, <laughs> getting the, or, you know, cats with catnip, that kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel like there's like all over, my goats have, have they, they actually like catnip and, and marijuana, I heard, uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, but um, I, I don't think it's that unusual. And if we see ourselves as part of the animal kingdom, Yeah, it's not a far leap to understand where there might be a place for this.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is that back in California, um, I had neighbors that
0: that grew marijuana and they also
1: had Arctic wolves as pets. And um, uh, they, you know, they used to keep the marijuana locked up area. And, you know, if if my neighbor forgot to lock the gate, you know, these these wolves, they would not eat anything green, but they would devour the marijuana, they just like gobble it right up. So that's really interesting um, how they're attracted to that, but then not anything else That's, that's green, you know, so there's some, yes, you're right. There is something about it. Right. So there is something about it, but I just, it's like we need more information.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean you're you're part of the the movement, you know, because there's a lot of people on again on the internet who are enthusiasts, let's let's call them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh don't necessarily have the credential or the clinical experience that you have and they're making their little recommendations and they've got their Whatever, And and, and, in researching for for this interview, I, you know, went to a couple other sites and I saw these people, you know, offering to help people with their conditions, but not necessarily knowing where their expertise comes from.
1: Yeah. And guess who ends up cleaning up their messes?
0: You. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to wild guess.
1: That's happened quite a bit where it's like. You know, I'll get a call from somebody and they're like, well, this person told me to do this, this and this and this happened. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's important to, you know, a lot of times you'll hear things like, oh, you just have to use your intuition and it'll guide you on how to use it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. But they say that about I,
0: sugar, I sugar too, there's you part. know, like <laughs> that's a sure. lot of people say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if you're, if you're tuned into the medicine and the science behind this, there's a, a method to it. There are boundaries to it in terms of dosing. Um, there are side effects that need to be avoided. So, so all of that, but you need to be aware of the science of it in
0: order to know this. Right, right, absolutely. Um, I do have a question for you from uh, one of our audience. Uh, mm-hmm. Her name is Lisa, and she wants to know if there's any benefit for dementia.
1: Dementia. Okay. So I have treated a handful of dementia patients. The one aspect um, of their condition that it helps is anxiety. Okay. A lot of times that anxiety can lead to aggressive behaviors um, and it's helped to calm down the aggressive behavior. Um, as well as the anxiety that that goes along with the dementia that is the only aspect that of it that that I f- found that it helps with
0: yeah because when I think of when I think of pot I think of people who forget all the things yeah. so, I, so I don't know that it would help with that but yeah that that's the um yeah it's the anxiety that people yeah. feel like oh I forgot something again you know what I mean like they know something's yeah. wrong but they can't really put their finger on it and um yeah the anxiety builds up so that would totally make yeah. sense
1: Now, does it affect the progression of the disease? Um, You know, does it stop it or slow it down?
0: No, I haven't found that to be the case. Okay. And uh, again, this just speaks to the fact that it's not a silver bullet that's going to, across the board, just solve all your problems, which unfortunately, I think we fall into a trap as human beings of wanting just one thing that we can go to and everything will be okay. So on that note, uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Patel, for speaking with us today. This has been one of the more fascinating <laughs> uh, interviews that I've given in a while. Uh, your uh, website is drrashnapatel.com. That's D-R-R-A-C-H-N-A-P-A-T-E-L.com. And she also has a YouTube channel of the same name as well as a Facebook page.
1: Yeah. And uh, your listeners are more than welcome to post their questions uh, in the comments section of my YouTube channel. I do one of two things. If it's a very commonly asked question, I'll create a video answering the question. Um, and if it's, um, uh, you know, just a simple question that I can answer just generally, then, I, you know, I usually post a response there. And then if it's something where it's specific to their situation, um, typically I recommend just just setting up a consultation with me. Right. Um, so, so that's how I usually go about answering questions.
0: And you've also got some uh, packages on your website. So you um, offer protocols uh, that I guess can be downloaded maybe as a PDF or a set of videos. And then you've also got like a, a more com- that combined with a, more of a one-on-one.
1: Yeah. So, they, consults, so right? people have options in terms of how to work with me. What I've gone ahead and done is that I've created protocols by medical condition, right? So, mm-hmm. so all the things that I was talking about in terms of what combination of cannabinoids to use, how much of it to use, how, what the best method to use uh, for that particular medical condition is, all of that I've video recorded um, and 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 packaged uh, along with with you know consults. You can pick the number of consults you'd like um, and, and made that available. And as the year goes on, um, I'm going to be creating more and more protocols, uh, for various different
0: conditions. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Yeah. Thank uh, you. It's, thank it's, you for giving
1: me the platform to, 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 to talk about this.
0: Oh, for sure. I'd love to have you on in, in the future. So, uh, <laughs> please keep in touch. I will. Um, on the, uh, just before I let you go, is there anything else that was on your mind that you really felt you, you know, we didn't speak about today that you'd really like to get out there? Or a recommendation? Um, you know, I think we, we covered it all. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rushna Patel. Uh, it's uh, very nice to meet you. Thank you for your work, and we hope to see you again. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh. The nutrition heretic you can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com where you can download the nutrition heretics free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague you can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast be sure to like us on social media for updates our facebook page is facebook.com slash nutrition heretic and on twitter at nutri heretic Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.